This video is sponsored by Game Toppers. Turn your own kitchen or dining room table into a premium portable game solution at a fraction of the cost. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Drive Through FM. Uh, today we're going to cover a variety of topics. I opened up a thread on social media and Board Game Geek and basically turned into kind of like an AMA and ask me anything. <laughs> I was just fishing for topics. And I got so many good questions that I was like, oh, I'll just answer all of these. So I think there's about five or six good questions that folks uh, kind of asked me about. And so we'll get into some of those talking about like uh, content creator sort of burnout and sort of how the content creator thing sort of affects, you know, their overall gaming, collecting versus playing games, you know, simple versus complex games, uh, some of the new AI stuff. Um, I'll leave the AI thing for the end because I actually got into sort of a, um, <laughs> protracted discussion with some of my other content creator friends. So I'm going to try to pull all that stuff in at the end. Uh, but before we get to that, I'm going to jump in and do uh, six reviews. The reviews will be pretty quick. Um, just kind of the general impressions. I don't think I played more than the... No, I played a couple of them more than once. But most of them I've only played one time. So yeah, so they won't be super in-depth reviews. But I just kind of wanted to touch base on some of the games. I've been kind of light on the review game. There's some more games coming up uh, that I'm excited to review. I'm not going to spoil it here because I don't really exactly know the order. Um, but yeah, there's definitely some reviews coming shortly, uh, but I wanted to kind of circle back and, you know, kind of touch on some of these games that won't be getting the video treatment for reasons which will become clear later. Um, but yeah, so a couple of reviews and then some good topics from some folks. So take a short little break, fix yourself some tea, some coffee, uh, whatever your beverage of choice is, and we'll be back in a second. Okay, so the first game that we're going to talk about is a game that I was very excited to try. It's called Shadowgate. It is a sort of a board game style of an old video game that was from, I think, the 1980s. I have just amazing memories of going to a friend's house a couple of times and doing like a sleepover type of thing. And they had a computer there in their living room. And we played this game called Shadowgate. And it was this like puzzly sort of click point and click kind of adventure game, but it was from a first person perspective. Uh, just, I think it's a groundbreaking game. I think it's kind of considered that. And just really cool, fun adventure thing. You could just die at any instant. So if you're familiar with uh, like those old games, Myth or Zork, which was a text-based game, uh, Shadowgate was kind of that same thing. And the board game name is actually called Shadowgate The Living Castle. It's from Trick or Treat Studios. And they've done a fair bit of releases here over the last year. They did a remake of the uh, Trom Fabric, the uh, Dream Factory game from Reiner Knizia, which I reviewed oh, a few months ago now. And I, and I enjoyed their, their remake of that. Um, and I was really excited for Shadowgate. And I was like, gosh, how are they going to do this you know, point-click adventure game you know, in a board game form? And it really just did not <laughs> do any... I mean, it's, it's one of uh, the worst games I've played. Uh, it has this really terrible dice rolling mechanism for doing your actions, which just can, like, just hose you up and leave you basically, basically without any resources. And you kind of just bounce around to these different locations doing these different quests and things like that. Um, and it's just 
pure like jump around and you know enroll dice and try to either fight monsters or you know collect these different items that are have these symbols on them and that's all they really amount to for like comboing up uh you know some of the requirements on kind of the quote-unquote quests and stuff like that and really i'm just mentioning this game to sort of steer people away so if you see this game you're like oh i remember shadowgate i'm also in my you know late 30s or 40s or whatever <laughs> you know that'll be fun you just don't even bother <laughs> Because I was just severely disappointed by this game. It was like they fully just, I hate to, you know, talk like this, but they fully just kind of phoned in a design to claim this IP that I'm sure is just sitting out there that nobody even remembers. Um, I do th I do know that they came out with like a recent video game and I, I looked on Steam and it had some good, good reviews, I think. Um, but I do recommend, I think you can get like a remake of the original, which is like, you know, verbatim, but updated graphics. You can get that. And that can be a lot of fun. I think the game will probably show its age. But then there's like a, you know, a new version of the game, which is totally new quests and puzzles and things like that. And I believe that the folks that made that new game also implemented some of the design alongside Trick or Treat Studios based on um, the credits on the box. So Trick or Treat Studios probably isn't fully to blame. I think they kind of picked it up as after like a failed Kickstarter and that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, it's... It's just something to avoid, and, I, and the only reason I mention it is because I think some people might get stuck in by, oh, that looks cool, I remember that. Uh, don't don't go for that at all. Um, I don't want to spend more, more time on it. Uh, the next game I'm going to talk about is Classic Art, which is a Reiner Knizzi game. It is sort of like, I guess, trying to be a different version of Modern Art or Modern Art the Card Game. And, you know, part of the thing with modern art and modern art, the card game, it's sort of like a gambling thing. I mean, modern art, which also uses cards, is different than modern art, the card game. Very confusing. Modern art, I really enjoy. It's an auction game. You're sort of playing cards out of a hand. So there's cards in it. And then you're trying to sort of try to guess at and sort of evaluate sort of the scarcity of the different artists that are depicted on the cards and then kind of bidding accordingly. It's really simple, but it's a lot of fun. Um, modern art, the card game is kind of the same thing without the bidding. It's just kind of like playing cards and sets and it's pretty good. Like it's okay. Like, you know, it, it, it's kind of fun. <laughs> this one is now this, this new edition is from cool mini or not, or come on or whatever you want to say. And the, the looks nice. I like it because it uses a lot of like real art, um, sort of classical art, if you will. And, and everything looks good in that, in that regard. Um, but the game, I mean, it's just, it's just not a game that is worth playing either you're it's the same kind of idea where you're kind of betting on the different cards to come out but it is absolutely like dry and gimmicky and gamey and it just is just sucks i mean this is this is one of those games where if people say you know reiner kanitza is a themeless mathematician kind of thing and i'm like well yeah here's a good example of that um that's kind of where i fall on this game and i think is he's unfairly labeled that in many many of his other games but this one just feels like kind of a leftover bits of the modern art and modern art card game design, you know, kind of just hanging around and kind of, you know, just the leftovers of that. And it just really was very disappointing. I mean, similar to Shadowgate where I was like, oh, this is going to be like a twist on modern art. And I've, you know, moderately to, you know, exceedingly enjoyed each of those other two games. And this one just did not 
not deliver all. It's just so purely mathy and gamey and setting the, you know, frequency of the cards. It's like this whole grid board thing. Uh, it just is not, not fun at all. Okay, so that's kind of the, uh, well, almost all of just the pure nonsense out of the way. These next few, um, they I think these have some merit. It's just I have some particular issues with them. Uh, and so I played the, those first two only once each, um, but that was enough I needed. Um, now this this third one here, this is Darwin's Journey. I played this one twice, and I wasn't sure about it the first time I played it. And it has a lot of cool stuff. It's by the same designers that did uh, Marco Polo. I'm just looking here. Yeah, so Barrage, which I really enjoyed. Lorenzo Il Magnifico, which I enjoyed. Newton, which I enjoyed. It's much other things. And this feels like a lot of those games, especially kind of like, kind of like Marco Polo in a way. And what this is, you're sort of following along the journey of Darwin and sort of like retracing his steps in a way. So he's had his, you know, great discoveries in the Galapagos Islands and his sort of theory of evolution and all that kind of stuff. And he's sort of piggybacking off of his research and sort of developing, uh, you know, your own sort of stuff along the side of that. And you go to these different worker placement spaces and you move your little ship along this kind of map, which is kind of cool. And you find these discoveries, you write letters home and it's this worker placement game. So the thing that bugs me about it and I'm still kind of unsettled on it is you have these little seals that are these different colors and there are places where you go and you collect those and to activate some of the other worker placement spaces, you need to have those different seals collected and that will kind of unlock the, you know, more powerful things. And that part to me, I think I I do end up coming down a little bit negatively on because it feels like you have to kind of do that. And I've seen it in a in one of the games where I played it, where I just was not able to get there before everybody else, and then that kind of just hindered the rest of my game. And then I've seen it in the other game that I played that something happened to somebody else, because the second time I played, I was like, okay, now I know you got you got to get in here and get these seals. And so that that kind of bugs me. And it, I kind of liken it to a game called Hansa Teutonica, where and that's a that's a great game, but it has this one spot where you kind of like have to go it to it. Sort of depends on the strategy, but in you know, early strategies of the game are like go to the spot to get yourself extra actions. And even if you don't end up getting it, you want to go there to block other people and then it gets you kicked out. And so it's like the opening game is like you got to go and get to the spot to get the extra actions. And this is similar where you've got to go to this spot and get the different seals and just to do the other thing. So if you get locked out of the getting these seals, which is just a very abstract thing. And then you can't do these other cool things. And the thing is, if you, they were somehow pulled that out of the game somehow, and the, you know you couldn't, the design would unravel to a certain degree. But if they could do that, then you, the rest of the game is really cool. Like I like all this other stuff, like you know, doing the research and going and exploring the the islands, and all that kind of stuff is just really neat. And I like the theme of it. The components are great. It's just a it's just a very interesting game, but this that little hook of it bugs me. And the other thing that bugs me is there's some of these special ability tiles that you can shuffle up and deal out, and they will give you like these you know beefed up worker placement things. One of them bugs me because it basically is like a copy action where you can sort of copy the uh, I can't remember what the term is, but like the 
let's call it the knowledge or the research that they somebody else does. So somebody kind of sets themselves up to do this big thing and then they do it and then somebody else comes and copies it. Now it's available for everybody to do. I just don't like that that's in there. Now you could easily pull that out and it's, it's not that big a deal, but that was just like, uh, this is weird. Cause I've in thematically, I've done all this kind of work and putting things together and now there's a space where you can just like copy it or something. I don't know. That, that one's not a big deal, but that was just kind of a stickler for me. So Darwin's Joiner, I would, you know, some people have that like try, buy, or, you know, ignore or whatever. I would put this in the try area because I, I just, that seal thing just bugs me and it just takes, it's too gamey. And it really, to me, kind of detracted from a lot of cool stuff that I thought was going on. And then I was like, kept having to focus on that. And I'm like, this is just, oh yeah, that's right. I'm playing a board game. You know, I don't, you know what I mean? Like, it's kind of like I'm getting into this other stuff and it's just this so, you know, apparently mechanical thing that's getting in the way. And so, you know, that happened. I mean, we're playing games here, right? So that's going to happen, but it just didn't marry up. Right. So that, you know, sometimes I play a game and it's just like pure mechanic calculation, blah, blah, blah. I'm just, you know, trying to get in there and crunch the numbers. And then other times I'm playing games where it's like, oh, I'm just into the theme and I'm not even worried about the mechanics. The mechanics are like this effortless breeze behind me, sort of like, you know, filling my sails and putting me on this journey. This kind of was starting to do that, but then as this thing kept getting in the way. So anyway, it's a little tricky, but take you can take or leave that. But I would recommend folks try the game though, because that may not bother you as much as me. And the other thing, the next game we'll talk about, that was Darwin's Journey. Uh, this will be Beer and Bread. And it's a similar kind of thing. Uh, this is a two-player card game coming from uh, Capstone Games. And it's been out for a while. And I like a lot of it. So you have these cards and you are playing them. And it's, you know, it's it's kind of like a, a straight card game, a San Juan style game. But you have these places on these on this board that you're playing cards. And so what you do is you have these like different types of resources that you can you can get so you get like the different um ingredients for creating the beer and the bread and then you have the water spaces to get like generates water and they have abilities so you can play the cards for the abilities so they have this kind of multi-use thing and then you can kind of like play the cards uh for later so you get the cards back for later and so what ends up happening and that's all really neat like i love a multi-use card game i love all that stuff um and the game is pretty interesting, like most of the way through. But then at the end, you have this kind of like, feels like super lucky, like top decking thing that's kind of out of your control based on like which cards you get to go with the combos and stuff. Like there's not enough, like, I don't know. And I don't know how this would work in this design, but like ways to dig out and get certain cards, you know, somewhat reliably. It was just kind of, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a lighter game though. So I don't think that, you know, it needs to be that, you know, sort of taxing or involved or complex, but the way that that sort of the end game sort of comes out, you're just, it feels like you're top decking. And I'm realizing I'm not being very clear here actually. Uh, so when you play some of those cards down for those abilities that you get, you're not sure like how well they're going to interact with the other cards that you get. Right. But again, it's a pretty light game. Um, so you, you might get some more mileage out of it. I just kind of found again, that it didn't kind of marry up and sort of come together, uh, in the way, uh, that I, that I would have, would have wanted it to. 
Anyway, so that's beer and bread. And so uh, two more games here. Next one is going to be uh, Witcher Old World. And this one I did play a few times. I think I played this three times, at least three times, actually. Um, I might have played it four times because I played some solo games of it as well as games with uh, other players. And this is another one where I like Darwin's Journey where I kind of struggled with it because I was kind of like, do I like this? <laughs> and I think at the end of the day, no, I, I don't like it. Now, it has a lot of cool elements similar to Darwin's Journey. There's a lot of different parts of it that I like. Um, but there's a couple of issues with it. So the, the game, you know, you wander around with your Witcher and you fight uh, different monsters and you can fight each other. And you try to sort of like level up your Witcher and then... Based on, you know, the kind of the expansions and stuff that you have, which I did try it with some of the expansions, um, the end game is a little different. So the main game is like you've leveled up your Witcher and you've gotten like these different achievements through leveling up or fighting and that kind of stuff. Now there's an expansion, I forget the name of it, where you actually add like a big bad monster. I think if you're going to play the game, you should definitely add that to it. That's that's a must-have because that gives you more of a targeted sort of end game, and it's a little bit more you know climactic instead of somebody just like you know, well I, uh, you know I leveled up and then I had a fight and then I won. <laughs> so this has you kind of targeting this monster and this monster sort of like roaming the countryside, re wreaking havoc and stuff, and so that kind of adds some dynamics to the game where you can get little bonuses and things like that, kind of following in its ruins. Um, and you know it's got. This weird card play combat, which I just, at the end of the day, just do not like. It's like they have these like weird icons and colors that you try to play and line up. And it kind of reminds me of sort of like a Lords of Hellas, Lords of Ragnarok style combat. I've not played Lords of Ragnarok, but I've played Lords of Hellas. And that combat system I liked in Lords of Hellas. But this one feels like it has no rhyme or reason. Because you kind of, every turn, you're automatically buying these cards and adding them to your deck. So it's like a deck building thing. And it just is like, yeah, I take that one, you know, or I'll take this one. There's, it doesn't feel like there's really good, sort of, combos and stuff that you can try to go for with different things. It's just like, well, this one has a little thing where I can link up this this other card, so I'm just gonna take the one that has all the link ups that seem to work, and you know, uh, this this one does two damage, but it has three link ups on it, and this one has three damage, but it has two link ups, and it's like, I don't know, <laughs> like which one matters. So that it just feels like there's just that's that was like two whatever was in that deck before early in design was like ground out of it, and whatever like you know flavor was just removed. Um, and then the other part of the game that is tricky is a lot of the beginning of the game you don't really have like enough ability to go do a lot of things, so you just kind of have these encounters. And these encounters are like uh, crossroads cards, you know, in like Dead of Winter or something. Where so somebody flips a card and reads it, you make a choice, and then you do the thing. So there's a lot of that going on, and it's fine, you know. I would say with one or two players, but once you have like more players, this is like a lot of reading in the middle of this like sort of efficiency, you know. What's the most efficient route to move my Witcher to these locations to get these upgrades and get these abilities and, you know, fight this combat on this turn so I can kill the tier one monster and then move on to kill the tier two monster. And then, okay, then I can go here and get the upgrade. So you're trying to like puzzle that stuff out. And that part's kind of interesting. But then it's like, oh, stop. Everybody stop. We're reading. <laughs> you know, it's again, it's like the marriage of the thing. I'm trying to have this cool adventure or I'm trying to do this efficiency puzzle. 
not both necessarily. And sometimes you can marry those things up. And this, in this case, I don't think you can. Um, and so that's kind of the main sort of problem with it is you have that. And that kind of adds a lot of time to it, especially with more players. But you kind of, you stop doing that, you know, partway through the game. So that kind of story reading kind of goes away because part of the outcome of those stories is you get cool stuff and, you know, upgrades and other different things. And you know, cool items. And, and then, so everybody kind of stops having to do that. Then you start getting into the, the nitty gritty of everything and started getting to the end game. It's just like you kind of happen to get into good cards, you know, and then you just like, okay, well I've leveled up. I can draw extra cards. I can add these extra combos. And I now have some items that will go along with things. And then, you know, we're at the end of the game and then that's it. And so again, this, this one just did not really come together in all of its parts for me. Okay, so that was Witcher Old World. We got one more game to talk about. And this one, I was, I didn't play this one, but I'll explain why. Because um, it's more of it's more of a piece of commentary. This will be a nice kind of dovetail into the Q&A stuff. So I got this game from Games Workshop called Space Marine, which is based on the popular video game series. Uh, the original Space Marine is like a third person, first person shooter game. It's pretty fun. I never really played it very far, but it was fun. And the new one looks really cool. Space Marine 2 is coming out. That looks great. I'll probably pick that up. But uh, Space Marine, the board game, is loosely based on those video games. And you play like one Space Marine against, you know, like a dozen or so uh, Tyranids. It's a little miniatures thing with a board. And it kind of bugged me because it looks really dumb and simple. But the thing that sort of triggered me on it was... Instead of like a little punch out sheet with cardboard tokens, they actually have you cut out the insert and those are the cardboard tokens. So you're supposed to go and cut this thing out and then it gives you some, it's just a handful of tokens. It's not a lot. So it gives you a handful of tokens and I'm like, that is the cheapest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. And Games Workshop is this multi, you know, million dollar company and they're like, they're putting, actually putting out a game like this where you got to go cut out the friggin' tokens and use them in the game and they don't why can't you just stick a little small punch board are you cutting costs that much you know and i don't want to get in anybody's business and maybe they have to cut costs because you know there's a belt tightening going on but it this is largely largely a point that i think the board game division of games workshop has just fallen off a cliff lately um, there's really been nothing that interesting coming out. I mean, they keep churning out Underworlds. Underworlds is, is, you know, it's just his own thing. It's, it's, it's not really a board game though. I mean, it's like a little miniature game with hexagons that, and it's like a deck building magic, the gathering cell game. And so it's not like a, you know, they don't have like a Warhammer quest that's come out. That cursed city thing was, that was a terrible game. And, and I don't care about all the production who cares about that. The game was awful. <laughs> um, you know, Blackstone Fortress was like the last great game you know and they have the blood bowl um what's it called blitz bowl that's a good game but i mean they just keep coming out with that every year so what's the what's the point of that and they keep like reiterating the whole gore chosen uh you know um thing i can't remember what's the a combat arena is like the 40k version of it. so they keep regurgitating that and these other crappy little barnes and noble games um but they would have whatever happened to like you know where's where's freaking another Warhammer quest that's good you know that has somebody it's like they just yanked the plug on all like any kind of you know really good chunky board game design 
And that's just disappointing. And, you know, I got that space Marine in the mail from them. And I was like, what is this? What are you guys doing? Like, what's you're just cashing on, on your own IP for somebody to go buy models cheaply. And that's in the, there's a part of the segment of that side of the hobby where they're like, Oh, I got this board game. Cause I can get these models at like a 50% discount because of the board game. You know, you get it in a box and you get it cheaper than if you buy like the normal army boxes. And that, that is like that side of the hobby is just full of people that just do that. And it annoys the junk out of me. I'm like, this is whatever, <laughs> you know, it just annoys me. And I was like, why don't you get some folks to design some games for you? That is good. You know, like there's, there's good stuff going on in the hobby. Like there's, this is, this is going to tie into the, the last part of the discussion with the AI. Um, but there's like good things happening here and there's good people making good designs with, you know, uh, good quality and lots of good effort and all, all that, all that stuff. And then you guys are just like cashing in on this junk. And so that, that's my review of Space Marine, which is more of like a review of like what's going on with Games Workshop's, uh, you know, board game division these days, because they don't seem to really have one. It's just like a, a an automated machine at this point, speaking of AI. But uh, anyway, so that, that's kind of some brief reviews there. And uh, so, yeah, let's, let's take another quick little break and we'll get into some of your great questions. Okay, welcome back, everybody. We're going to jump into some Q&A questions here. And uh, most some of these are multi-part questions or there's similar threads between some of the questions. So I'll just kind of work through it more conversationally uh, as I go through these. So let's just jump right in. And I'll, I'll, I will also paraphrase. <clears throat> so, and so one question that uh, somebody had is was on the idea of the content creator burnout. And... Also, when and how creators should disclose potential biases when covering uh, games. And I th these two things actually go together. This is from the same person here. And so I was talking about this with some of my friends. This is a couple of months ago we had this conversation. And the thing that will burn me out more than anything with the content creation is and this is going to sound clickbaity, but is other content <laughs> from other people. But let me clarify that. So when, and it's not just even board game space, it's just in general. So when I'm, you know, looking for something to watch or whatever, and I see something that is bad, or just, I think there's something not good, you know, sinister is, is a terrible word, but it feels sinister. That bums me out that I am like on the same platform as this, this person, theoretically, right? So I'm on YouTube and I post a little bit on Facebook and Instagram. But when I see something that is like upsets me, basically, it makes me somehow like internalize that and go, man, what am I doing? I'm on the same, I'm doing very, something very similar to this idiot, you know, or whoever. And I'm like in the same space as them. And I'm like, I don't want to even be anywhere near this person. I don't want to even be confused with this person at all. Um, that's what burns me out more than anything. That's what bums me out. Now, on the flip side of that, take that away. That's Tuesday. Wednesday, I'll go watch a watch a played video or listen to a Secret Cabal gaming podcast podcast. 
and be energized and rejuvenated and be like, oh, I'm going to go make a video. I want to do something on my own. Or not just, you know, not just those guys, but like anything. If I watch a cool YouTube video about like, I don't know, breaking down like the cinematography of some movie that I enjoy, you know, or whatever. This is like, and it's a really well-made, thoughtful dissection of whatever, then it gets me excited. And I'm like, oh, okay, so it's, that's what burns me out. It's like bad content will burn me out and good content will reinvigorate me and re-energize me. And so the dovetail with that is, you know, when and how creators should disclose potential biases when covering games. That's kind of looped into the same question there. And I think that has to do with that quackalope turkey. <laughs> um, that, you know, that's when, that's something that bumps me out is that guy and that all that stuff that happened with that guy. And if you don't know what happened with that guy, you can just go Google it. And, you know, he basically got caught out in a lot of ways doing something he shouldn't, shouldn't be doing and in, in a way shouldn't be doing it. I also don't think he should be crucified for eternity either. But that stuff, you know, that kind of thing really bums me out. I'm just like, oh, <laughs> why are you making everybody look bad, you know, first of all? And again, like that's the thing, thing about being associated with people that that do those negative things is I don't want to be anywhere, anywhere close to that. And as far as answering the question, like, you know, when and how creators should disclose potential biases, I mean, you just you just should do it. I mean, just for yourself, just, you know, uh, you know, like if it's a, f you know, sometimes you get, get friendly with a designer or a publisher or something in this industry, just cause it's kind of a small space. I don't know. I mean, that kind of thing you can just kind of take, like, I think I'm pretty friendly with most people that are in the hobby in general, like just generally, I'm, I don't really have like a negative relationship with anybody that's out there, publisher, designer, content creator. Um, so, I mean, you know, and, and that's just, should I have to disclose that? I mean, I guess, I mean, I'm disclosing it now, but yeah, I mean, there are certain situations where, you know, if you play tested a game or something you worked on it or something like you, you gotta, you gotta just disclose that. Um, you know, I don't let that affect me even if I, if I really like somebody or, and, and you know, I'm not gonna let that make me enjoy a game you know, that kind of thing. So, um, I don't know. I mean, just disclose whatever you feel like you got to disclose. I mean, it's a tricky, like, I mean, you could just run through a bunch of theoretical instances of like, okay, well this, in this case, you know, oh yeah. So you're just going to know what you should disclose. There was a good, um, I'll find a link to it. There was a good, um, I think it's one stop co-op shop did a podcast on this and and then um jason i can't remember his last name and i'll put all these links in the notes he did a really good thing with some actual journalists breaking down that kind of thing and i thought that was a very well um dissected and thoughtful presentation about like you know proper journalism and kind of some of the problems that happen in the board game space uh with that because a lot of us most of the people are just like hobbyists, you know, that have like a Patreon or whatever and, you know, run crowdfunding campaigns or that kind of thing and do Kickstarter previews, some folks, um, and that kind of thing. And that's, that's the only source of income that they have. And they don't work for like a big press outlet that floats their boat and then they can write completely, you know, unbiased and stuff. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I mean, the thing is, is like, 
this is not a good enough answer because I'm thinking of that podcast now that I just mentioned. And the answer I'm going to give you, they would say it's not good enough. But I'm saying, and my advice to other creators is just be honest with yourself about what you like and don't like and just live with it and go for it. And be, and you know, don't be afraid to like not like something either. I mean, the internet has its own little problem with that with people. If you don't like something, then they get all up in arms or something. And then, and then those same people will go and like comment in every social media post about how they don't like this and that thing. But then if you put together like a production around it, somehow that makes it more of a target, but everybody's just crapping all over everything all over the internet. Anyway, like the whole, the whole situation is like, it's a big bummer. I mean, talking about burnout, the whole social media landscape, content creation landscape is just a huge, it can be, if you let it get to, it can just be a huge burnout thing. Cause like, why am I even in the same place? I mean, here's, here's an example of stuff. This is, and I, I have, I have a litany of examples, but you know, like I enjoy the NBA and basketball and I like, you know, like the, I'm from Southern California. I like the Lakers. Don't comment. I don't want to hear about it. And you know, so I like like the Lakers page on Facebook and I have a couple of things. And so I'll comment and type, uh, not comment, but I'll chat with people and then the algorithm picks that up. And then it shows me stupid stuff like dad bod sports, which is just like complete, you know, this is, this is not really cursor word, shit takes, right? It's complete garbage takes and just clickbait. And all, and it puts that in my feed and it's just nonsense sports stuff. And I get a ton of those on my Facebook. That's another piece of burnout. Like I don't need to hear your stupid opinion. And then everybody with the same 60 comments over and over and over again, like they're, like they're enlightening somebody. <laughs> like, why am I in the same room as you? That's the burnout kind of thing I'm talking about. It's just annoying. So anyway, that's just an example. And you can go across every kind of industry and everything to uh, to deal with that. So the, the 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 trick there is to block all those pages, which I do. <laughs> but, you know, it's usually like the third or fifth time. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I need to block this. This is terrible. All right. So the next question is saying, so have some board games be by becoming more complex, having a campaign, having multiple scenarios, started to require such a time commitment that there's some similarity to the dedication required for, you know, miniatures games. And I think 100% yes. Uh, much of my gaming time of the last, probably for this entirety of 2023, has been spent playing Oathsworn. Um, and that's that's with the happiness and pleasure. I'm, we always look forward to our Oathsworn game. We usually play it a couple times a month. Um, and we had some breaks in there just to vacations over summer, you know, that kind of thing. And work stuff gets in the way here and there. So where else we'd be done by now? But um, uh, but yeah, that I mean that's just taken over. Um, in, in some aspects, you know, the entirety. a large part of, of the kind of the gaming, the gaming life. Right. So, yeah. I mean, and that's the exact same way as if you were playing something like a Frostgrave or a Warhammer kind of thing where, you know, you have your little miniatures and you get together and you play a single game for about two, three hours or so. And, you know, or sometimes four. Um, but, uh, depending on the game. Right. But, uh, you know, it's the same kind of thing. Right. So if you get a lot of people, I know some of my friends have the Gloomhaven groups that they're in or Frosthaven and it's the same kind of thing. You know, they get together 
once or twice a month and they play the game it takes a few hours and then that's that's what it is and that's the same sort of rhythm and pattern of a miniatures game with these style style of games and what the person that, that asked this their name is ian they said you know it, it, it is kind of becoming a problem where they kind of want to have multiple uh games of that style to play and it's in he's right it is a problem and like i said it's it has eaten up you know certain chunk of of my gaming time you know where i don't play maybe some of these one-off games as much as i as i as i normally do and i don't know it kind of depends on if you look at it at that as a problem um, for example i mean one thing we've talked about is playing um some more league of dungeoneers um at some point you know once we kind of get done with osworn so it's like okay well we can we're not really going to take a break from osworn to do that i mean we could right but you know, we'll, we'll finish that up and then we'll go play this other campaign game and that'll eat up a lot of time. Uh, you know, and that just seems to be something that's happened for me since COVID was, you know, a small group of us kind of started to get together after a little bit of time. And it's just a, you know, small group of us. And so we said, well, well you know, we, we had kind of like-minded folks at that time. And it was like, well, let's play through Warhammer Quest Blackstone Fortress, which we did. And we played through, um, a whole campaign of Alter Quest, and what else did we do? We, there was one uh, Lucky Duck game that was like four or five games. We played through that, and we played through something. I'm forgetting one. I know I am. Some other campaign that took us like four or five months, you know, in there. And then now it's on to Osworn. So that's been really good, though, because it's been something that's been hard to do. And like, like this questioner asks, it's... It's, it is hard to do. So I think it's something you, you, you do have to kind of draw a line and say like, you know what, I'm going to do this for a while and really commit to this and try out this kind of style of game. And, you know, that may or may not be for you because I think, you know, people will burn out on a game. I mean, Oathsworn, we're in our like 16th or 17th scenario. Like we're getting pretty close. Um, but, uh, you know, 16, 17, there's going to be end up being 20 games of it. A lot of people will burn out on a, any, you know, a regular game that doesn't have a campaign way before 20 games. Uh, you know, usually they play a game, you know, 10, 10 or 12 times, maybe if, if they really like it. And then maybe they'll move on from it at least for a while, put it, you know, kind of put it on the shelf, let it sleep for a year or two and then come back to it. So it's, uh, it, it can be tricky to, to get those kind of games played. That's for sure. So the next two couple of questions here. There's a few questions from uh, Justin and Andy, and they, they kind of are similar to some of the stuff we're talking about here um, with kind of the how the content creation sort of affects things and sort of the gaming lifestyle stuff. Um, I'll start with the one from Andy because it's I think it's it's a little bit singular in its in its scope, <laughs> and and he seems to kind of wonder if people that are kind of like a newer player or they don't like to play you know, big complex games, but they still like to play games and they're, but then maybe they're not really that competitive. Do they rate games differently? Um, than somebody that likes the big old complex games. And I think hundred percent they do. Um, I think that's, there's an interesting, interesting sort of dynamic there where you kind of have people that want different things out of different games. Right. So like I was talking about earlier during some of the reviews, Sometimes you have that kind of like high adventure sort of seat of your pants kind of thematic experience. 
And then you have that very dry kind of mechanical, you know, spatial mathematical kind of attitude. And so those kind of two styles are going to definitely view things, you know, a lot differently. Um, you know, I think the kind of thing that I would, I guess, encourage or something would be to dabble in other things. And I know that like, it's, it's, it's trickier to ask somebody that likes some of your Lexus cable, call them more casual type of games to say, why don't you dabble in some Vitala Serta games? And they're like, Oh no, <laughs> don't, don't do that to me. And so, I, I mean, I get that. Um, but I know on the other side of the things, you know, somebody that likes a Vitala Serta, is it tricky to ask them to like, enjoy like a good old game of just one? I mean, I don't know. I mean, everybody's different though. So I don't, I don't know. I mean, some people maybe wouldn't really enjoy that. You know, they maybe would enjoy just one for like 10 minutes and they'd be like, okay, I, I get this game. <laughs> you know, and then they would move on and be like, well, of course, okay, you get it, but let's sit here and have fun. You, okay. You got it. <laughs> you understand it. You've digested it. You've deciphered the mechanics. Why don't you just sit down for a minute and we'll have some fun. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's just different personalities and stuff. It's, it's tricky, but, um, I think I mentioned this earlier in the earlier question about like, it's okay to not like things, <laughs> you know, I don't know. Um, I was an analogy I would give is a movie analogy. And I was talking to some friends about this the other day, actually. And I said, a lot of times I'll see, you know, a trailer or something. And they usually like, you know, movies that you would expect to kind of get nominated for an Oscar and that kind of stuff. And I will get turned off by them because I expect that they will gonna they're going to make me angry. <laughs> so for example, like Schindler's List, I did not watch that in the theater. I did not watch it for the longest time. I eventually watched it. It's a fantastic movie. I mean it's it's a it's not like a fun movie, but it's a great movie. It's well done. It, it moves you and it just I mean I mean it's just it's mind blowing. It, it takes your breath away. In a lot of in a lot of the worst ways, a movie can take your breath away. But it's well done, and I'm glad it exists. I think everybody should, you know, try to watch it. But it, it, the sheer horrifying event that's betrayed, I don't want to subject myself to that, right? And so there's 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 a lot of movies that come out, and I'm like, I bet that's good, <laughs> but I don't want to watch it because it's gonna upset me, and I just don't. Why would I purposefully put myself in the situation to watch that and be angry? You know, because a lot of these you know Oscar movies, there's there's always some point in these movies. A lot of times where somebody is just absolutely like betrayed, or brutalized, or something. Because the movies often are about how these people will overcome certain difficulties. And, you know, just imagine anything. And that's great. But it's also like, man, just punch him in the face. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I'm being a little facetious here, but like, it's just tricky. So sometimes I want to have a movie that just is like, okay, let me forget that the world is, exists and there's lightsabers and dinosaurs, you know. So it's different things for different folks and how you want to spend your free time. So, um but I'm like I've said, I'm not opposed. I eventually did watch Chandler's List, and I watched a lot of other things. You know, the one movie I can think of recently I watched a couple of years ago, but uh, it's called Lion. Um, it's about uh, um, I don't really want to spoil it, but it's it's a it takes place in India to start the movie, 
Uh, it's about a young Indian kid, and then it kind of goes through his whole life, you know, as he gets older. And it's called Lion, like, you know, the animal. Uh, really amazing movie, and just completely, like, angering in many instances, and, you know, moving, and, and it's funny in certain parts, and all the things. So it's a great movie. But it's, like, one that I was like, oh, man, okay, I'm, I'm going to watch this. And it was, like, it was so good. But, you know, it's it was rough. Okay, so the next kind of comments here uh, from Justin. Justin asked a few different things. Um, you know, do you ever get tired of teaching yourself new games? How do you balance spending time with a game versus other things that you want to do? And I think I talked a little bit about some of this kind of with the whole campaign thing, you know, versus like these games. Um, do I tire of teaching them? Uh, you know, sometimes, but that, that goes away, you know there'll be certain times where I'm like, man, I've just taught a lot of games, you know, recently for some reason. And I just, I want somebody else to teach me, um, that kind of stuff. I, I really enjoy teaching the games, you know, and like doing the overviews and the videos and stuff like that. I, I really do enjoy doing that, especially on the video and, you know, and it's different when you do it for a game group and getting everybody to play and you're making sure everybody's on the same page. Cause it's, it, I mean, that's like game time, right? You know, we gotta, I gotta make sure I get all the rules. Don't forget any rule. And Make sure I say it correctly, you know, because now we're going to sit down and enjoy a couple hours. Whereas the video, I mean, I don't do 100% rules exhaustive overviews. I kind of try to do enough to give you the hooks and all that stuff and try not to get it wrong, you know. But um, so it's a little different there, but I enjoy it. I mean, I really do. And sometimes you burn out, but then that kind of stuff go, comes and goes. That's like a cyclical thing, you know. Um, what was the other part of the question there? Oh, how do you balance, you know, gaming versus doing other things? It, you know, I don't know. It, you just do, I guess. I don't know. I don't know if there's like a how to that question. Like you just kind of have to do it. If you don't balance things, then you're going to be out of balance. And then quickly, hopefully we'll realize you're out of balance. And then you just take actions at that point to try to correct it. You know, like, oh, uh, been having too many game nights or something, then you just don't do game nights for a while. You know what I mean? Like, and just, you know, I think the important part of that would just be open in communication with, you know, whatever's going on, you know, and just tell your game group, like, I can't make it today because, you know, whatever. I mean, I couldn't go to game night. Uh, the last Oathsworn night was my fault. I couldn't go because I, I, mean, I had work. <laughs> But, um, you know, so I can't do anything about that, but, um, you know, that kind of stuff, you just kind of have to just make your calls and, um, and kind of go from there. And so the next one here is, um, the, a couple of people actually asked me about this part and they mentioned Rodney from watch it played where it's kind of the balance between collecting games versus, you know, playing them. And, and then there, uh, Justin had some, you know, bits about how does a content creator uh, affect you? And it's like, yeah, well, I'm kind of like, uh, why well, trying to struggle for I'm like accidentally collecting games, <laughs> you know, not accidentally, of course, because it's all on purpose. But, you know, it's like my collection just grows without any money leaving, basically, um, which is nice. I mean, don't get me wrong. That's that's nice. But um, there is a balancing act because I, I do get more games than I would probably you know, buy, I mean, hundred percent. So my shelves and stuff get full way quicker than they would. And I probably inherently spend a little less time with the game 
than I would than if I had like you know purchased the game that kind of thing because I you know I also get the games too for the purpose of doing the video or doing the podcast so it it's trickier so from the collection aspect the collection grows and I and I constantly am like purging um they either go out to folks in my game group or some of my kind of like acquaintances in the area um or they end up at the uh Typically, I've been going to the Union Gospel Mission. There's some other charities and stuff. They end up there. Uh, the Union Gospel folks seem to really appreciate them. Like, they get excited. They're like, oh, you got the games. Okay. So, that's cool. So, it makes me excited to bring them there. Uh, so, the collection part, um, I, you know, I just kind of take care of it. Because it gets tricky, though. I mean, I have one friend. Let's call him Billy. In my group. Who constantly teases me? He's like, D -d -d I thought you rated that game at eight, and now you're getting rid of it. I'm like, I don't have infinite storage. <laughs> you know, like I can't just keep everything. I mean, there have been like heart wrenching like cuts of games that I've gotten rid of that have showed up, you know, like on top ten lists from previous years and stuff. And it's just like, but the thing is, I mean, the good thing is there's like an abundance of good stuff. So all the stuff that I like still have that I'm looking at right now, I'm like, oh, I'm super happy about all the stuff that I have. And you kind of forget all the other stuff that you you did like because you, uh, you got enough good stuff. So if you got enough good stuff, that's all you really need. And I think, you know, if people are struggling with that, like sort of, um, you know, retaining, like having too much sentimentality about the games, just like pick half your collection and get rid of it. <laughs> just do it. And then, you know, there, there will be some like pain involved in a way, you know, it's just like, Ugh, I don't want to get rid of that, you know, because I like that. It's good. You know, just get rid of it anyway and see what happens. I mean, that I do that all the time. <laughs> and, you know, but what it almost makes me appreciate the stuff that I still have even more because I'm like, this is the one I committed to this one. Right. I locked in on this one. This is the small group that I have. And these are the ones that are, you know, for, for the time being, <laughs> you know, in the collection. So, so yeah. Um, and then, you know, theoretically, since you've committed to it, the, the game enjoyment will be even, even more because you're like, oh, uh, you know, this is, this is the one I've kept. I don't like look at, uh, I'm trying to think of a good example here. Well, I don't know. Here, here's an example. Let's say I had, I don't have the original Kalos anymore, but let's say I had the original Kalos on the shelf and Kalos 1603, and they're sitting right next to each other. And I'm like, I really want to play Kalos. Which one do I choose? Now, Don from Secret Cabal would say, Joel, you choose the original. And I'd say, no, Don, I choose 1603. <laughs> but if I somehow got rid of 1603 for some reason, and I just had the original, I'd be like, yeah, that's fine. That's good. But I chose Kayla 1603, so I don't have the original anymore, and now I don't have any problems because I just picked that one off the shelf. Easy. <laughs> That's the only one there. I just picked that one, and I'm happy. It's great. You know, and there's other games like that where there's some similarities that you can you can kind of tease apart and say, well, uh, I choose this one. Like Tigers and Euphrates and Yellow and Yangtze. I really like both those games, like almost equally. And... I don't, I don't even care what it says about me that I chose Tigers and Euphrates over Yellow and Yanksy. Who cares? If you somehow stole Tigers and Euphrates from me, snuck into my house, took it, and then you swapped it for Yellow and Yanksy. Like, if you just took it, I'd be upset. But if you swapped it from Yellow and Yanksy, I'd be like, 
that's all right. I won't call the police. <laughs> I don't know what my point with that is, but well, yeah, I was saying, you know, you kind of, you don't get too precious with anything. And then, you know, the stuff that you do keep, it makes you kind of enjoy it even more. I think, I don't know. That's been my experience. Okay. So I was kind of all over a little bit there. So I got one more question and I'll talk about the kind of the AI stuff here at the end. Um, uh, so I'll just kind of read this. It's easier. So I'd love your take on the massive shift to nature themes and anthropomorphic features, uh, creature characters in most games these days is not to offend the masses by any theme people take offense to these days. I like some of the games at first, but man, it seems like a lot of them have moved in this design choice and it's getting very samey. Hmm. Okay. Uh, I think I have two answers to that. I don't think it's a massive shift. You've definitely seen a lot of them. Don't get me wrong, but you still can get it. You can still get to find a ton of games that aren't, you know, nature themed anthropomorphic characters. There's a, there's a ton of them out there. Um, and I don't necessarily think it's to not offend. I mean, maybe probably some publishers are doing it for that reason. Cause it is, I mean, it's an easy thing. Nobody's really going to get pissed off, you know, with some anthropomorphic little beavers that are like, you know, developing the environment to sustain their habitat. Like there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> um, but I don't think they're necessarily just not to offend. I mean, I think the point of it is that it's, it's going to appeal to a certain type of person. Cause I mean, I don't know who doesn't like an anthropomorphic creature. Again, you can overdo it. And I think, you know, there has been a lot. I will grant, um, let's see. Kenny is the person that asked this question. I will grant him that. Yeah. I mean, there, there's been a lot. Um, I don't know. I, I think it's fine. I think, you know, we never used to see that like nature themed or like with, um, what was the one? There was a game where you like, you're growing flowers. I think there's another one coming out where you're like, you know, you're trimming a bonsai tree and that kind of stuff. So that kind of stuff is kind of neat. It's interesting. Like, Oh, you made a game out of that. Okay, cool. Um, and so I think some of these sort of, environmentally sort of themed games are, are kind of cool too. Um, you know, nature themed, that kind of thing. I don't know. I, I think it's fine. Um, I don't know that it's necessarily just to, I mean, I don't know. I, it's, I get what you're saying. You like, you see a lot more of these, these days, but then, you know, we had zombie games forever for like four or five years. So things will shift, you know, you know, there's always these trends and that's part of the problem though. Because I think some of these original games, like I'm not a huge Wingspan fan, but that was kind of one of the original ones. And I think that was, and from a thematic perspective, the game is really good because you got all of these different birds and there's facts about the birds and it's it's very well integrated with the theme. It's it, Like I said, not a game I particularly enjoy, but from a thematic perspective, I think it was very you know honest with what it was trying to do. It was very well-intentioned, you know, it was purposeful in the theme it was trying to accomplish without any of this, like, you know, trying not to offend people. That, that wasn't the reason the game sort of was birthed out of the designer and the publisher and everybody, the artists involved. But then you get copycats, right? That are like, oh, well, this did well, so I'm going to do this. And so and this is actually going to dovetail perfectly into this AI discussion. <laughs> uh, and so the integrity of the people that are copying is probably a little, I don't know, weaker is the right word. Like they still want to put out a game that people enjoy. So 
don't get me wrong. They're not like, this is not a bad person making this decision, but they're doing it from a different place. They're not like, you know what? I've got this great idea for a game about birds and their habitats and all this stuff. And they're not coming from this sort of, you know, mythical, pure place. They're coming from a very sort of almost cynical marketing point of view, which I don't like. And I think maybe that's some of what uh, Kenny's trying to get out there. Uh, maybe not to put words in Kenny's mouth there, but that, yeah, I, I appreciate that. And I, you, you get that where it's like, ah, you're just following the trend and you can tell that, I mean, sometimes, but on the other hand, some people might just be inspired by wingspan and be like, you know what, instead of birds, I'm going to do one about, you know, beavers and building dams and stuff like that. Cause I really have enjoyed that. And I'm got a gaming mind and I'm going to try to apply that to this area or something. Um, so yeah, you kind of have to do a little bit of that discernment yourself and parsing, you know, what you think the intentions are of who's doing the creation of the game. And it can, that can be tricky. I mean, sometimes you can get fooled or whatever, you know, um, and they didn't really do it with all those almost like sincerity of like the original wingspan and how that was developed. Okay. So that's all the questions that I had. Um, again, some people kind of ask the same thing. So, um, I kind of smooshed them together, but, uh, this let's segue in a little bit into this discussion about AI. And so this come up, you know, with the terraforming Mars is doing a, uh, Kickstarter. I believe it's a Kickstarter. Yes. Campaign for their new expansion, new addition to the game. And one of the questions you have to answer now on Kickstarter projects is, are you using any AI generated art? in your Kickstarter project. And in this case, Terraforming Mars said, yep, we are. We're using, um, uh, I think mid journey to, which is an AI software that to generate some of the art or at the very least, I'm not, you know, they didn't give you like a step-by-step of what they're doing, but the very least, like some of the ideas for the art to then later be manipulated and changed by a human being into being, you know, the final art for the cards and they don't really say how much <laughs> they're going to get manipulated. <laughs> you know, Like, are they going to run like a, a Photoshop filter color on it and then leave the art as is, you know, or they're actually going to go in there and do some work who knows. Um, so uh, people are upset by this because some of the uh, ideas behind some of the current, what you would call AI, which I'm going to try not to get in this conversation, but it is not AI. <laughs> It's a very sophisticated Google Google algorithm with some very interesting outputs, but there's nowhere near the right uh, structure for building artificial intelligence. So that's fine. Let's just call it the AI. Part of how these programs were developed, the data that they were used to kind of train was using copyrighted artwork as well as a bunch of free artwork. And... So you're kind of standing on the shoulders of existing artists that have not given you permission or any kind of access to your own work to use in the development of, you know, future art. Now, a human being could go and copy and learn from if I, you know, get Picasso's and study Picasso's and go into an art gallery or an art museum and copy Picasso's, which is something that art schools, I think they still do it. They used to do it. So you would go and copy the masters. Um, and learn how they composed the picture and how they put the colors together and all that stuff. That was a completely legitimate way of learning how to draw. 
to kind of copy that. And then you would go out, you also go out in the, in the real world and, 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 and represent things that you saw and, you know, however abstract or whatever you wanted to do. So that's part of the deal. So, okay. Is the computer kind of doing that? Yeah. Yes. No, whatever. And part of the problem is the computer can do it in like two seconds or whatever. And it takes him being like a lifetime to get to that, you know, point where they can sort of imitate other art or artists and stuff like that. So I come down on this in a couple of places. One, I think it seems somewhat lazy the way they're doing it. Now, I don't know all the ins and outs, the way the terraforming Mars thing is working. Cause you can go generate some pretty, you know, convincing, you know, legitimate art looking types of things with it. And okay, fine. But my point is, and I kind of, I think I have two points, but it's probably more buried under it. One is the first part. When I sit down to play a game or listen to music or watch movies or something like that, I want to have a dialogue with the designer, with the artist, with the writer, with the actor, you know, um, with the publisher. That's a human to human connection. Okay. When I sit down and play 51st state ultimate edition, right? To me, that's me in a sense, having a dialogue with Ignacy Trevicek, the designer and publisher of that game and the artists that he's hired artists, plural that he's hired the developers and the testers. Like part of that experience for me is interacting with that and being happy that I am alive at the time that they were so that I can experience their thing. So if you think about like Bob Dylan, I love Bob Dylan. So I'm very happy that I'm alive at the same time he is. And I'm able to kind of get like Bob's take on things. Right. So, you know, pick any artist you want, you know, Bob Dylan, you know, ice cube, uh, Bon Jovi, uh, whatever. Right. And you are getting their, information you're getting their sort of take on the universe on the life on the world that we live in on the things that are happening you get that from them like that's them talking to you through their medium and games is just another one of these art forms and that's that's why i like that i like that a lot it makes me feel good and then i can also the cool thing with games probably a little more so than some of the other you know, art forms is you're doing it with people there. So again, the people that I'm playing with, I'm happy that I'm alive at the same time as them. And we're experiencing this together. We're experiencing the Reiner Knizia masterpiece. That is Tigers and Euphrates. You know, that's all part of the thing. That's part of the attraction of it. You know, it's part of what engages me to it. This, this mind came up with this. And if you start like plugging in a computer to generate this stuff, it turns me off immediately. Because then what you're telling me is you care more about knocking out product than creating an experience for me. And now this is, this is, this is mostly personal here. I don't know if this is objectively true. I feel like it is, but again, I'm really biased. Um, so because like terraforming Mars in them is, you know, using AI to generate the art, theoretically, they didn't use it to generate the design. I don't think there's any AI good enough to design a board game of any, you know, like anywhere close to decent. Um, but because they're doing that, they're like, they're telling me like, we don't really care. You know, we don't really, you know, we, we don't really care about the art. We just want that. It's just, it's just there as a placeholder. And you know what? That's something that is kind of 
natural, unfortunately, about this hobby. The art can kind of be secondary. Like I, I've seen this brought up a couple of times, you know, okay, you have the designer's name on the front of the box. Why isn't the artist's name on the front of the box? You know, I think Ian O'Toole, does he get his name on the front of some of the box? I think so sometimes. Vincent Dutre sometimes gets his name on the front of the box. But a lot of artists don't get their name on the box. I think that would be cool if they did. Even if there's multiple artists, you know, put them on the back of the box. If there's like, you know, eight artists, you know, then put them all on there. Um, and I think that you know, most of the time they get mentioned in the rule books and stuff. But I think it's important enough that they get treated as more of a first-class citizen in the hobby in general. Um, and I think that what, what this is a little bit of an indicator of with terraforming Mars is like, they're of the mind that, you know, Oh, well in the art didn't really matter. It's all about the game design and stuff. So we're just going to generate some random, you, you know, AI art. That's the feeling I get from it. And I know, I don't like that. I don't want any, any part of that. Now having some discussions, um, with some of my, my friends, uh, Jamie from the Seeker Cabal and Rodney from Watch It Played, we had we kind of went around 15 rounds on this. <laughs> uh, I was kind of coming out of, on different ends of this through the conversation uh, uh, because they they brought up some some of these points that I'm bringing to you that they've brought up and we've discussed pretty thoroughly. And the other part of it is is there could be a point at some point where we have some real AI. It's not like a, you know, a, a language model or some kind of image generation thing, but it's like a real type of thing that it's, you know, it's going to pass all the Turing tests and, you know, there's some argument about, well, if something passes a Turing test easily, then it's too good. <laughs> so it fails the Turing test because it's obviously a computer because it answered all the questions in three seconds, you know? Um, anyway, but, uh, we could get to a point where we have some kind of entity that is creating games or stuff like that, or, or kind of existing more on a same playing field as, as we are, well, you know, and yes, that could happen. And I think kids today and the kids of our kids or whatever are going to have all these tools at their fingertips and it's just going to be part of their world. And they're going to be like, Hey, I opened my little AI app on my, digital glasses and created this little holographic play of Shakespeare, but it's also like the Sopranos and there's dragons and magic. And look at this cool thing I made. And then we're going to go to my house and we're going to watch it after school. Yay. Okay. And then, you know, then, you know, tomorrow we're going to go to Billy's house and he's going to have made this interesting, like digital painting thing with music soundscapes. And, you know, you know, they're just going to have tools and fun things to play with. And I'm like, okay, you know, I'm kind of imagining that world. And I'm like, you know what? Let's those kids have fun. These theoretical kids in the future, 20 years from now. I'm like, okay, whatever, you know. But I think you're going to start wanting to, and who knows what the full ramifications of this are. Nobody knew what the ramifications of the internet and social media were going to be. Everybody got that wrong, right? So, but you're going to have a desire to be in spaces and places and in environments and interacting with art that has not been touched by AI. And I think the important thing to notice, and I think the thing that my kind of key takeaway with this is Kickstarter is doing the right thing by asking people if they have AI used in this, you know, creation of this project, tell us, and how did you use it? So all that's doing is giving the backer of that per current project 
the ability to kind of make the judgment call for themselves. Now for me, no chance. I don't even like terraforming Mars that much, <laughs> you know, but no chance that I'll be, want to be involved with it. It just is a turnoff. That's fine. If it doesn't bother you also fine. But I think the clarity and transparency of that existing needs to be upfront hundred percent. That's probably the most important thing because again, if I was listening to, I was, I used this example with, uh, with Jamie Rodney there, there's, there's a, a David Byrne and Brian Eno album. I'm a little old here, but David Byrne's from the talking heads. Brian, you know, it's like from the seventies <laughs> anyway. Um, and they've done a couple of albums together over the years. There's one they did probably about 10 or 15 years ago. It's amazing. I love everything about it. It's one of my favorite albums of all time. And if you had told me an AI made that, I would hate it so bad because I would be like, Oh, this was created with this like artificial endorphin inducing maniacal machine that is trying to trick me to have emotions. It's not David Byrne and Brian Eno writing their life experiences, expressing it to me and, and, and putting down on paper and into, into the air what they care about. It's some magical corporation that's just trying to like piece together all of like the perfect algorithm of the seven, you know, things that trigger a human being's emotions. I would absolutely loathe that existing. So I should be able to know that I can get into that space and be aware of what's going on. And who am I talking to? Am I talking to some computer generated junk or am I talking to Billy across the table? And I just want to know, I don't want to be tricked. And that's, this is part of the issue with the AI stuff is, you know, the ability to create fake things fake audio, fake video, like, you know, misrepresenting politicians or famous people or regular day people. That's, that's a big concern. Right. And I think the, the most important part of this is going to be transparency about what is and what isn't this generated thing. And, you know, if you told me like, Hey, I brainstormed some things with chat GPT before I wrote my novel. I would be like, eh, okay, you kind of just did a glorified Google search. You're like, you know, tell me about the eight kinds of dragons in literature or something. You know what I mean? And you're like trying to come up with something and like, oh, okay, I could kind of pull these two parts about this dragon together. Like, I mean, I've done that. I mean, I've gone on ChatGP and just farted around on there. Uh, you know, it, to me, it's a glorified Google search. And that's how you have to look at it. Don't tell me this is some AI thing that's thinking and it's aware of the friggin' It doesn't know what a dragon is. All it is is spitting to you language back. It's tricking you that it knows what a dragon is. So <clears throat> I think there's, you know, like I said, there just has to be clarity about what people have done and then let you make the decision. Don't try to hide it because that's when you get sneaky, right? Because that's when you get these fake videos and fake audios and fake art and fake design and fake emotions and fake this and fake that. But if you're aware of that going in and you're like, I'm just going to play with the little emotional morphine machine today, <laughs> then you know what you're going to do. Maybe some days you need that. You need a stupid robot that's not going to have, you know, uh, or it is going to have infinite patience with you. And because you just need like a therapist or something, you know, whatever. That's fine. But then if you want to deal with a human being, you can deal with a human being. And that's it. Okay. So 
that is pretty much it. Uh, thanks everybody for listening. Hopefully that wasn't uh, too long. Uh, just over an hour here, it looks like. Not too bad. <laughs> okay. Uh, thanks anybody. Any, any comments or anything, feel free to leave them and I'll respond to them. Any questions, follow up, you know, I enjoy that kind of thing. So thanks everybody and look forward to some new reviews coming soon. Thank you.